Hey, listeners, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas. And this is Talk With Me, and it is a gray November day. Um, it will actually be a lovely day, but it is a little gray right now in Lawrence, Kansas. Just the day after an amazing poetry reading. If you're ever in Lawrence, Kansas, when there is a taproom poetry series or a reading at the Raven Bookstore, go, I say go, yes. We have a lot of good stuff that happens in Lawrence, Kansas. And for me, also part of the good stuff that happens in Lawrence, Kansas is happening via technology, as in today, where I get a chance to talk to someone who is a poet in Ohio. And there's a little bit of a twist here that the reason that we connected to do this show is because of a poet in Sweden, as in the country, not in a city in some state in this USA. So thanks to Jana Carlson. Today, my guest is JJ Campbell. Hey, JJ, welcome. Hey, thank you. Yeah, glad to do this. You are part of this, this set of people. One, one of your circles, at least, is this set of people who are connected in part through Wolfgang Carlson, Karstens and, gosh, I'm going to mess up Jana and Wolfgang. <laughs> Wolfgang is Karstens, Jana is Carlson, and they do a lot of projects together that are part of Epic Rights Press, which is Wolf's Press, and through Svensk Apache Press, which is Jana's Press, and they do a lot of other stuff. And so this idea that you are a poet Yana, in this case, is an illustrator, and Wolf is the publisher of the 2016 Punk Chapbook series that your book was featured in. Like, that's pretty cool, I think, all these different places. Because, by the way, Wolf is near Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, International. it's pretty amazing um, how the world has gotten smaller over the years yeah. um, via technology. Yeah. I remember when I started writing poetry, it was when you wanted to get published, it was the classic, get five poems together, send them in the mail, wait for a month, two months, three months, oh. and then you find out if you got them published or not, or accepted, and then the man be published six months later. Wow. Now it's almost instantaneous through email where I can send five poems out and know within two hours whether they've been accepted or not. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when I try to wrap my head around that, how far it's come in such a short period of time mm -hmm. that it is e much easier for creative people to, you know, kind of build stuff together, you know, through technology now than it was, especially in the late 90s when I started, when everything uh -huh. was sort of in its infancy. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me. And I also think not only is this thing happening that's making art, in this case written art, more available and collaborations available, out of that, some of those collaborations also become really true friendships. And, yeah. and then we have to remind ourselves, oh, man, we have never been in the same room together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that, sure if 
uh, Yana and I have ever been on the same continent together. Yeah, exactly. Most people <laughs> have said they had not even heard his voice before. All their communications were through keyboards, you know. And so when he and I did the the podcast, the uh, Talk With Me episode together, it was it was that thing of some people who've known him for a long time said, hey, man, this is really cool. I had no idea what he sounded like. <laughs> he sent me a poem of mine that he liked and he recorded uh -huh. so he sent me the recording of it, so that was the first time I actually heard his voice uh -huh. maybe a year or two ago. Uh -huh. And I was like, wow, okay, you don't sound anything like I would have thought you would sound like, because I'd seen a picture of him. So uh -huh. of course, there's the natural, you think something, you know, without knowing it. Yeah. So once I heard him, I'm like, okay, this might lead to some other stuff down the line for uh -huh. like voiceover stuff or, oh. you know, other, if we want to do, you know, more animation stuff and uh -huh. then maybe make them, you know, little two, three minute movie type stuff. Oh, cool. Over. Uh -huh. I could see that happening down the yeah. line. Yeah. Well, and, and he, he, you know, when we were first getting ready to talk, he was a little hesitant by, by keyboard. He was a little hesitant saying that he wasn't so sure <laughs> of doing this in English. And then he kind of joked and said, actually, he probably wouldn't be very sure of doing it in Swedish either. But his English is excellent. And his English does not have what I think of as a heavy accent. You know, we, we all have accents, but, but there was no, there was no having, you know, no, no question about knowing exactly what he was saying. And a few times I used expressions that, that he, he, um, would ask a follow-up question to make sure he knew what I was asking. And I realized it's because it, it wasn't something that, that made a lot of sense to him. And I think this is so interesting. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring us back to a conversation you and I were having right before we started recording. Um, <laughs> because, it, because it's such, to me, a delightful story. So, so my connection to you in part comes well, really, it sort of originates with, with Wolfgang Karstens, because Wolfgang is the way that I got to, to even think about getting to know Jana. I'd seen his illustrations and read some of his poetry, but, but doing a show with him was because he and Wolf do so many projects together. And, yeah. and Wolfgang also, does, you know, Wolfgang has a lot of, of people who he's worked with through the Punk Chap book series, as well as other books that he's chosen to public, publish that are really, there, there is a vibe of Epic Rights Press. If you don't know it, you need to go find the site, buy one of the books to start with and get a feel for what this is, because it's, it's powerful poetry that I will always say is about living life fully. It's so cool. Anyway, so Wolf does the publishing, but he also does um, video. He has a series called Poets Underground. And so, um, <laughs> so in, in terms of me connecting with poets that are associated in different ways with Wolfgang and Jana, um, another one of those poets is Brenton Booth, who's in Australia. So Brenton and I did a show, um, and and before I was doing it, Wolf reminded me about the show of Poets Underground that he did with somebody who has published some of your work. So Horror Sleeves Trash is one of the journals that you've been published in, and that journal is from Ben John Smith, also in Australia, like Brenton Booth. And so this leads to that conversation of, 
do Americans speak Australian? Do Canadians speak Australian? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I encourage people to go to Poets Underground on YouTube. And then not only will you find an interview with Wolfgang and Ben John Smith to learn a little bit more about what Horror Sleaze Trash Journal is, but also you'll see a little outtake clip that's called Understanding Australia. And I'll just leave it there. It's beautiful. <laughs> Listen to it. It's great. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, man, have you ever talked to, to many of the people who do your actual publishing, like some of the journal people? Do you talk to them by phone or, or you know, through computer audio? Or do you mostly do it all through keyboard? Um. A lot of it is done by keyboard. Uh -huh. um, ben and I have actually um, sent letters back and forth through Australia and the United States. Cool. Um, yeah, Ben is probably one of my bigger supporters in you know the. I I, I hate saying the small press, but you know in the worldly sense of it, that's what it basically is. Uh -huh. And you know, I, I cherish the friendship that we have. And, you know, that's why, you know, I will send him, I will constantly send him work until he decides that he no longer wants it. <laughs> I, I think he's published me over 20 times. Oh, wow. And I, I try to make sure I send him at least five poems every, you know, two to three months regularly. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And... I I love the work he does. I love the how crude he can get. I love how <laughs> much he pushes the boundaries uh -huh. of what sh what people find comfortable in society. Uh -huh. And that's something that I totally want to be a part of. And I hope that we have a you know working relationship for as many years as possible to come. Yeah, cool. Very cool. So how did you two connect? How did that first happen? Um, I think I might have saw some of Ben's poems online and then found Horace Lee's Trash and just saw... I Normally what happens is when I find a new poetry zine or website that I'm not real... Um, already know of, I will look for names that I've been published with before. Uh -huh. And if I see names that I recognize whose work that I respect and like, I will then know, okay, I have a more than likely chance that my work can find a home here. Mm -hmm. And then you take the step of sending them. And I always like to, in the you know little note I will send, of where I found the website from, who I, you know, who might have told me about it or something like that. Uh -huh. So they know that their work is getting out there as well. Cool. So then, you know, you send and you hope for the best. And I've been incredibly lucky with Horace Lee's Trash that Ben kind of fell in love with my work early and has kind of championed it ever since. Nice, nice. Yep. And and I think for you to, what you just shared is for those um, poets who maybe haven't been published as much to, to pay attention to, to what you just said, JJ, that, that 
you need to follow those trails of people that you have something in common with in your work you know you need to you need people need to be sending stuff to journals and small presses that have an identity that matches who what their work is you know and a great way to know that is is by reading 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 you know and and i love that you also let people know when you contact them for the first time you know this is how i got to your work and that is a great thing i i think that some of the people who i know who who i, I all the people i know who have small presses artisan presses as we might say um are writers as well you know and and that knowledge that we need to keep encouraging awareness both ways you know a poet needs to promote the presses and journals where that poet's work gets published just as that publisher and journal is promoting that poet by sharing that poet's work you know that it needs to be really mutual it, it is working together it's not like oh i'm so great everybody's going to do this stuff for me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so what what got you from you know your your the little information that you sent me said you came from a farm to suburbia <laughs> <laughs> where where in that process did poetry become part of you oh poetry became part of me probably when i was 16 years old uh -huh. Um, I'm now 41. So uh -huh. I've been, um, I remember watching, I think in the English class when in my sophomore year of high school, we watched Dead Poets Society. And that kind of lit a spark in my head. Oh. My best friend at the time um, was really into uh, the beats and you know, Kerouac and Ginsburg. And so I started, he started sharing books with me and I started reading that. And then I tried to start to, to try to write stuff on my own. Uh -huh. And maybe six months into that process, I actually wrote something that he thought was actually decent. And, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm onto something. Uh -huh. And then one day he brought over um, to my house, uh, Love is a Dog from Hell, by Charles Bukowski, and I read that on my porch smoking a cigarette, and I just looked at him, and I'm like, so you can actually write basically how people talk, and it'll get published if someone else finds it good enough. Uh -huh. You know, using foul language, you know, whatever's <laughs> in your mind. And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I know exactly what the hell I'm going to do now. <laughs> and so that started this this total you know bonfire of me just going at it and probably I know I had my first poem published when I was 19 I had my first chapbook out when I was 19 yeah. um and it just became this endless you know charge into I'm a, I'm a very competitive person oh so i i want to be 
at least considered better than most at this while uh-huh. humbly knowing I'm probably not because I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> so I, I always think back to what Burroughs said in the Commissioner of Sewers where he said every writer at some point in their lives has to think that they're the greatest to ever do it. Okay. Their ego has to be strong enough to at least believe the, the lie that you're the greatest to ever <laughs> fight. And I kind of took that to heart where, because, you know, no matter whether I like it or not, rejection is a huge part of being a writer if you want uh, to be published. Yeah. So I have to have a strong enough ego to know that if the poems get rejected, well, I'll find a home for them someplace else. All it's right. not because the poems are bad. It's because the editor didn't know what was best for them. Okay. So that's how I have approached it probably since I was 21, 22. Wow. And, you know, I'd like to think in the last 20 years, I've kind of amassed a amount of work that I, I at least can be somewhat proud of that, you know, I've seen growth, but I've also seen the same love and passion for it along the way. Uh-huh. So I, I love what you're saying because it's like you need to approach it with con- your work with confidence. You need to do that. You need to know you're going to get rejection. You need to find the right places. And it's like you need to keep working. That's what, what I hear you saying is, is if you really are dedicated to the art of poetry and you really want your work to be seen by other people, you need to work on it. Uh, you know, you need to regularly work on it. You need to keep your confidence up. You need to know that there are going to be rough spots there and you're the one who needs to keep believing in yourself. Oh, I, absolutely. Cause yeah. I know the exact moment where I knew where this was what I was going to do. Uh I'm 18 years old. I haven't been published. Uh I sent 40 poems out. Probably two months later, I get all 40 poems back in the mail saying they've all been rejected. And then I picked up a pen and I started writing more. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I picked up that pen and started writing more, I knew this is where I was going. Wow. So can you can you say what it was that that let you know that for you it was important to write poetry? You know, because I, I heard you saying how you, you know you liked the stuff and you wanted to do it, but can you can you say any any things about what it does for you to write? I think what it for me, I used to joke when I was younger that you know I I write poems so I don't have to kill people. Okay. I think it's more of a therapy in a sense where it's it's cheaper than counseling, more or less. Okay. I can write out everything and get all you know. It's a it's a venting session more than more than anything. Uh-huh. And you know, I will vent in a way where I want I want I always want some kind of emotion coming from the poem. 
Mm-hmm. I want someone who's happy to read a poem that's sad and then go from happy to sad. There's nothing. <laughs> there is Thank nothing you, worse. <laughs> there's nothing worse than indifference. Okay. And I know I have failed as a writer if I write something and the reaction after is like, eh, okay. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing worse than that. You know that's even worse than rejection. Yeah. Okay. So, to me, it was uh, probably when I was able to write something and make someone laugh uh-huh. or make them, you know, profoundly think. It was that moment where I noticed I could, you know have somewhat of a change in someone mm-hmm. that it became very addictive of, oh. you know, now I have to do this. Cool. Because I have to see it in other people. Okay. And, but I'm also blessed with apathy. Um, <laughs> so it will be creative outbursts not a constant flow. Okay. But those creative outbursts will have, you know, seven to 10 poems in half an hour. Wow. And that can make up for four or five days where, you know, the arthritis is bad, the bad back acts up. And it's just like, I just want to crawl into a ball and die. Okay. So it's weaving through that, ups and downs, peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. to find a level of consistency, that's kind of what I've marveled at my own ability to do that when I don't necessarily want to or, you know, really feel like it. There is still a part of me that needs to. Mm-hmm. And... I love the fact that I can make something at that moment that someone else finds good enough to put on their website or in their magazine or want to include into a book. Cool. Well, I think now would be the perfect time for you to share some of your poetry. And so I want to remind our listeners that we're talking with J.J. Campbell, that you are in Ohio. You have been published for over 20 years in a lot of different publications and and some full-length manuscripts. So let's hear some of that. Well, first off, I want to share two poems that uh, the Swedish madman, Jan and Carl... (laughs) wanted me to read because he felt like he would be doing them an injustice if he would have read them. They're his, they're the two poems of mine that he loves the most. Okay. Uh, first up is the towel. I think of the countless number of children collected in that towel there on the floor. I'm surprised it hasn't grown legs by now and walked on out of here. Of course, I shouldn't be surprised as I'm pretty sure apathy has the better of it as well. (laughs) 
All right. Imagining the death of my father. Hopeless. The haunting cries of the frantic woman on the other line. Soon despair will set in and the inevitable will arrive. Ahead of schedule, of course. And I, being the only real asshole in the room, will try to crack a joke. Make up some nonsense that at least he didn't die on the shitter or inside a hooker. Besides, aren't we Irish? Shouldn't we have alcohol on hand for these occasions? I'll keep going until they finally ask me to leave. Which is all I really wanted for. I never really cared for the fuck. Simply wanted to be seen in case the will will be in question. All right, the family love. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are Yana's favorites of yours. What are some of your additional favorites that you'd like to share with us? Well, this is from my um, book, Sophisticated White Trash. <laughs> I kind of like the title, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this poem when I was 19 years old, and it probably is still one of my favorites to this day. Withdrawn. Bloody hands wrapped around what I thought was the future. Dreams, love, forever. It was only another fantasy turned into a slit wrist night of loneliness, heartbreak, the tragedy of balcony alcohol. Too much time on my hands. The stars rekindling old dreams of her eyes, whispering into my soul. The back alley screams of passion, recollecting scenes of lust from my past. Cars drive by, the neon lights blitz my head. I want to jump, drive a stake through this heart, see if I can fly, show the world what murder really is. But I succumb to fear, dreams of someone else. Some fucked up thought that everything happens for a reason. I'll grow from this. Soon I'll be inward, withdrawn, drinking uncontrollably, smoking three packs a day, watching old films of Bogart, polishing my guns, peeking through the window, hoping to see the sun, women, laughter of children, only to see death, paranoia, hypodermic needles marching through the streets of Los Angeles. The roaches break through the wall of my existence. They crawl on my skin, have sex, eat, drink, get into long conversations about the national debt. I can feel them killing me, nibbling at this tattered skin. Soon I'm nothing but old bones, broken dreams, a burning cigarette basting, resting at the base of my soul. I wonder who'll bring the gasoline. Wow. Yeah. So you wrote that at 19. Yeah. And still you're saying that's one of your favorites, which is pretty impressive that, that something you wrote early. So many people will say, well, yeah, I wrote early, but it was all trash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was incredibly lucky to find my voice early enough that I could really feel somewhat confident in doing stuff that maybe was beyond my years. Uh -huh. I know that was one of the um, gripes that people had 
when I was getting published in Los Angeles in my early 20s in driver's side airbag, that these are people in their 40s and 50s that were struggling to get into this magazine. Who was I to think at 21 I should be in it? And the amount of hatred I got for being somewhat successful was amazing in the sense that I guess any aspect of this world where you put yourself out there, there's this cutthroat nature to it that I don't know if I actually prepared for, but now that I'm over 20 years into it, I completely understand it because the ego is such a fickle bitch at times that I I completely get when someone gets pissed off that they're in this, but that person's ahead of them in this when they think they're better than that person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those that... I keep in mind to always be have the guard up in a sense that I'm going to, if I get published in this, there's going to be a certain number of people that are just going to come at me because they didn't get into it. Wow. You know, and as you say that, there's a part of me that says, okay, that's real world. There are people who are like that in any any area we wanted to talk about. And those people, like, who cares what they think? <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree with that. <clears throat> Here's uh, my poem, uh, Social Anxiety Disorder. So there I was in some trendy, save the downtown industrial district restaurant for my mother's 55th birthday party. Surrounded by family and her friends, the kind of shit I normally avoid. And sure enough, after an hour and a few beers, I'm on the toilet. And it's the kind of bloody shit that for as much shit that makes the toilet, there's an equal amount on the floor and in your pants. The kind of shit that you know you'll never be able to wipe at all. The kind of shit Bukowski made famous. And like clockwork... Back out of the table, I could feel the stink start to fester up my spine. And looking over at all the young hot barmaids and waitresses, I could feel the depression getting ready to set up camp. It was right about then that the cousin that molested me as a child handed me a piece of cake. I could hear God laughing over in the corner with all the cool kids. And as I got up to leave and noticed the little bit of blood and shit on the chair... I reminded myself that on days like these, men much better than me have killed themselves. I can only wonder what I'm waiting for. Wow. So you, I mean, you put it out there. Like, these are real experiences people have, decisions people make. People, and we do our best with all the horrible things that happen in our lives as well as the good things. And it's uh, yeah and so i am I'm, I'm imagining for me i think it's even harder 
for males to share and have the experience of some kinds of abuse, you know? Oh yeah. And so when, you know, if you're at a mic or you're, when that poem is in a journal, that there are in particular men who are reading that and going, thank God somebody can say this, you know? I haven't been able to, but somebody can. And, you know, and, and this guy is able to say this and he's writing and his work gets published and, you know, he's having some really important successes in his life. And maybe I will too, you know, it's, it's that connection and, and inspiration, hope that people get from, from hearing somebody else's experience, you know. It was and, one... One thing I decided early on was if I'm going to write poems that are, you know, air quotes, supposedly honest, uh -huh. that I need to be as honest as I'm willing to be. Uh -huh. And I decided just let it all out. Mm -hmm. You know, don't hold anything back. There is no taboo. There is no secret. There is no, um, I'm keeping this behind closed doors. Uh -huh. So every aspect of my childhood, my teenage years, my young adult, all of it is fair game. Mm -hmm. And I have found that when I do talk about being molested, when I do talk about... Um, you know, dates that have gone horribly wrong. When I do talk about, you know, getting sick in public and shitting my pants in a fucking movie theater, it's one of those that it's humbling enough that people will read it. And I've gotten emails from people where they'll thank me for making them feel more comfortable in their own skin. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I remember um, Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of Korn, saying that him talking about his childhood abuse made so many of his fans feel comfortable about talking about their childhood abuse. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those that it has to be talked about and brought out into the open or the cycle will never stop. Right. And I will never shy away from talking about it, being graphic in the details of it, letting people know that it's happened to so many of us that yeah. it has to stop sometime. Yeah. Although if we listen to the national media, it ain't never going to stop. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Well, I, I think what, 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 the, <laughs> what the latest Hollywood stuff has shown is there are, there are no saints. Yeah. And it's basically I'm happy with the number of victims that are coming forward, I, I certainly hope that all of their stories are true because uh -huh. I, 
I don't want anyone to be falsely accused in this. But it's one of those that the number of monsters that are allowed to roam free in society that are just able to be pariahs in society, it's disgusting. And I I know it's an aspect that, as someone who writes poems about pop culture and all this kind of shit, that I, I don't really cringe at writing it, but I know... I need to write it, be mindful how I'm writing it so it doesn't get misconstrued the wrong way that I'm advocating it in some way. Mm -hmm. Because I know that sometimes you can write something with the best of intentions and someone will put their own spin on your words and then it becomes completely something else. So you're saying that's a risk when you put stuff out in the open. <clears throat> I'll, I'll read you one. Okay. The bitch with the black eye. Watching the local evening news when a woman with a black eye comes on and talks about a hit and run accident. I said that must be on the east side of town. My sister looks up and says, hold up. Ain't no one going to say shit about the bitch with the black eye? And I laughed that it's pretty obvious she only had to be told once. And my mother laughed. It's good to know where I get my sick sense of humor from. And it's always good when domestic violence, when a domestic violence joke brings the family closer together. Ooh. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> Safety first. I was stuck behind this car on my way into town today. Nothing out of the ordinary, actually. Male driver, female passenger, just taking their sweet-ass time. I looked down to change the radio station I was listening to. When I looked back up, I only saw one head in the car in front of me. Suddenly, that car took off flying down the road. Then I noticed a little swerving and the brakes being pumped and then the gas floored again. I started to laugh and figured a little roadhead was going on in there. I stayed back, didn't want to get caught up in a potentially embarrassing car accident. But I did get a good chuckle when I noticed the driver had his seatbelt on. In the back of my mind, I could hear one of those old driver's education tapes being played. Safety first is the, the key to any enjoyable experience in a motor vehicle. <laughs> Oh, my. And if people have missed the beginning, this is J.J. Campbell. <laughs> Your driver's ed teacher would be proud. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, sadness through male eyes. I was going through a drawer in my desk tonight and came across some condoms well past their expiration date. And here they told me I would outgrow all those high school feelings I had of being a loser. 
<laughs> so yes, you do put all kinds of things out there. <laughs> by the big barn. There are a couple of guys, think Deliverance and a banjo, that like to come out here and hunt coyotes. Just for fun, as one guy put it. So no later than three minutes of them coming up the lane and parking the truck, three shots were fired and there was a knock at the door. Do you want to see it? The Yankees just got swept. I've got a stack of rejection letters and my fantasy baseball teams have gone to shit. Of course I want to see it. It was of medium size, bright red blood still flowing. They shot it up by the big barn, the one my cat has taken a liking to visit each day. Some people find a certain beauty in dead animals, either in deep reflection or in venomous anger. I'm not one of those. This was a nuisance snuffed. Good riddance. The guys left with the dead coyote in the back of the truck, off to do with it what they wish. Hat, stew, they look like the useful kind. <laughs> That's great. <clears throat> Suicide watch. I often think of the nights I buried my face between your legs. The nights where the tequila became so vicious a suicide watch would be issued. The nights of unbridled passion meant for someone else, someone better. Someone anyone other than you and me. The nights of broken glass and holes in walls shaped like frustrated fists. The nights where classical music dripped between kisses and the moonlight shadows of pale white walls. The nights where insanity and utopia created an invisible line undaunted by any nose around. This chapter was to end so differently, yet somehow we both made it out alive. I'm sure most wish we would have stuck to the original plan. But no script is complete without a thorough rewrite. And then we hit hard there, yeah. So how do you, you know, I know that you said that your writing is really cathartic for you. It's really therapeutic to be able to get this out and to share it. And, and I'm wondering what else, what other kinds of things are in your life in addition to writing? I am amazingly for, because I haven't met another poet like this, uh -huh. I am a huge sports fan. Okay. Uh, and I think that's more or less from being a really competitive person. Um, music is a huge aspect of my life. Because, um, you know, the first plan was to, you know, grow up and be a rock star. Okay. But... You know, that didn't ever pan out. So, but I will constantly use music when I'm writing, not to steal words or phrases or anything, but more for the melody and the rhythm, mm -hmm. the beat, to set a scene almost, to maybe help enhance what I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Maybe for me to... Um, take the poem someplace that I didn't think it would go. It Everything I do sort of always comes back to poetry in some sense. Mm -hmm. 
it's it's something that you know i I can't escape, so why bother try? <laughs> you know I might as well make the most of it while I'm doing this and take every aspect of my life and funnel it into something that is creative than destructive uh-huh. because there's this, the amount of self-hatred I have, I could easily go down a path that wouldn't lead to anything good. You know, and I don't, I don't judge anyone that takes that path. That's their life. I have no say in it. Mm-hmm. But I want to think that by not going down that path most days, I'm making the best choice for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know I, especially in my teenage years, I functioned really well when I was on drugs. But I haven't continued that, mostly because I'm unemployed, so <laughs> I don't feel like a life of crime is worth getting high for. Okay. But, you know, I, I probably am a functioning alcoholic, but I've managed to control it, air quotes, mm-hmm. in a way that I will only reward myself with a drink when one of my sports teams win. Okay. And so now it's no longer a depressive woe is me drinking thing. Hey, we won. I'm going to have a drink. You know, it's, it's at least trying to fool myself that this is why I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I think, you know, it's got me through 41 years. Yeah. You know, uh, let's see how much longer I can take it. Yeah. Says sports and music, and yeah. some restraint with alcohol. Those are things that that are important and and help you keep writing, writing. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's it's basically God help me if I would ever, you know, get into a relationship with some with a muse, because I know where the poems were going to go. You know. If if I if I ever got into another relationship with a beautiful woman, it would completely wreck everything I've built. Because I know the loneliness that lives inside of me is such a thing that if that would ever get filled, that void, I have no damn clue where the writing is going from there. I think as one of my detractors put it I'm a one trick pony when it comes to my writing and my response always was 
don't hate me because I do that trick better than you ever could. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> While acknowledging, yes, I am a one-trick pony. I always come back to what every psychologist says. Your life gets fucked up in childhood. Deal with it. Well, my life got fucked up in childhood. This is my way of dealing with it. Uh-huh. Yet, as you say that, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking there's this other part with one, there's variety in your poems. They're, they're gritty, they're real life. Some are devastating to hear, you know, like there's so much emotion it brings up in me. Some make make me make people laugh, you know, it's not all the same. And 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 I guess I think well I know I think that that our experiences, the hard ones and the good ones, they they are part of who we are, but they aren't the only thing. And 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 I don't I guess even in just the conversation we've had so far and the things I've heard and read about, you know, you and, and your writing, it's it's not just a one trick thing. It's a it is a, you know, being real, being honest, being gritty, you know, like I said, but it's not it's not all one thing. And and I and I like that that thing that you're able to say, you know, I do something well. You don't do that something well, those people that are the detractors, like, you know, that's that's an important thing to be able to basically say, fuck you. I don't really care what you think. Yes. <laughs> and my hope is that you don't you don't keep yourself out of relationship because you're worried about your writing. On the same hand, I was I was chuckling because I remember somewhere long ago I heard this singer-songwriter named Christine Lavin who has a song that basically, I think it's called, Please Don't Make Me Too Happy. And it's, it's basically saying, if you, if you make me too happy, I'll only write crappy love poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. the, the moment I find a woman who finds a guy in sweatpants attractive, I may have a chance then. Until that happens, <laughs> I don't see anything changing. <laughs> My guess is that there are a lot of people that are drawn to your the power of your words, you know, and it's not just about how people dress. <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe. I don't know. Here's my uh, poem, uh, Middle School Blues. This one might be the one of the better poems I've written in a long time. A sixth grade student got up from her lunch table with all her friends and walked to the restroom on the other side of the school and hung herself. She was found later in the day by another student. There was no note left, and weeks later, the whole community is still dumbfounded. I'm sure it'll come out that there were drugs involved or the mean girls started calling her a whore or her parents disciplined her for not getting straight A's. None of that matters to me. All I can think about is how I would have never had the guts to do that when I was that age. I guess girls do mature faster than boys. Mm 
and then this case it's it, it it's a good thing that 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 didn't happen you know it's man that's it's it's hard for me to listen and not go where i go which is my work and helping people want to stay alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> not just to stay alive but but to be able to to have lives that they enjoy you know and how kids really can be impulsive. And, and sometimes it is a miracle that some kids survive. Well, here's another cheery one. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you, JJ. <laughs> dead flowers and abandoned dreams. Dip your fists in my blood and create some new scars on this body. May my death be as sweet as the nectar on your lips. Dead flowers and abandoned dreams. The cold misery of the Midwest. Lost souls. Searching for something other than a needle at night. Laugh at the pain and take another hit. Soon they'll have to bury us on the golf courses. Imagine the surprise when someone hits one in a bunker. So it's time to lighten up, JJ. How about a sports <laughs> poem? Do you have some sports poetry? <laughs> Um, let's see. I don't know if I have any sports poems. Oh, okay. I'm going to go to the some um, of the recently published ones. Cool. Um, more damn buttons than a spaceship. Another restless night spent trying to teach the covers who's the boss. The morning shit clogs the toilet on the courtesy flush. Damn sausage and beer. You'd love to make some coffee, but the coffee maker has more damn buttons than a spaceship. <laughs> Toast it is. Time to go start a vehicle made in the last century and go to work. You grab your neon vest in a trash bag. They don't pay for aluminum like they used to. Yeah. <clears throat> Admire those long legs. Whispers in the haze. Not all these places give a shit about a smoking ban. Another round of something evil for the classy lady effectively using her cleavage to her advantage. Grab a chair and admire those long legs and come to that term can come to terms with that bulge between her legs in the morning. There's no time for questions of morality when the liquor tastes this good. Yeah. So you write and you write and you watch sports and you listen to music and I'm imagining, well, how, how often each week are you sending out poetry for journals? I will probably send out maybe twice a month uh -huh. where I will send out anywhere from 10 to 40 poems each time. Wow. Okay. And the goal is, I always think of when I'm send stuff out to get published, I think of it in baseball batting averages. Uh -huh. So if I'm batting 400, you know, four out of every 10 get yeah. you know, accepted for publication, I'm a Hall of Famer. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. The goal, though, with my ego is I want to be 10 out of 10. <laughs> so I I it's one of my 
you know, favorite stories to tell of that it really explains who I am. Uh-huh. I was came home from school, third grade, spelling test in hand. I had the highest score in the class, had 19 out of 20. I showed my father, and he asked, why did I miss the one? Right. But, yeah. And yeah. he... I couldn't, didn't have an explanation. He always, he told me that wasn't good enough. Yeah. So perfection was the only way I was going to quote unquote win my father's love. Yeah, never. Yeah. So I have that has stuck with me from that day on. Mm-hmm. Now you know my father's dead. It it's bullshit in the first place. Yeah. But that is still the goal for everything I do is perfection. And I doubt that's ever going to change in this lifetime. Well, you you have the opportunity to consider what perfection means. <laughs> and I'm serious about that, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 Because, yeah. man, when we try to live up to some of that stuff that's been told to us <clears throat> over the years and in childhood by people who are supposed to be important to us. It can lead us astray. Here's the uh, most recent poem I had published that I really like. The Lucky Spoon. Slowly watch the spider come down from the ceiling. Remember why you gave up drinking gin in your 20s. Put on some coal train and look for the Lucky Spoon. Enjoy your failure more than they deem reasonable. Explain that the cosmos didn't know what to do with you, and this planet was your punishment. Laugh at the threats of violence or arrest. You, you have way too many scars for them to think this is your first rodeo. But there can't be a revolution without some blood being soaked into the soil. Your your poetry is so powerful. Um, again, I'm taken aback, and and I want to ask you this as we're we're in that last couple minutes. But you you're putting out a lot of poetry that's getting published in journals, and do you have the plan for that next book for people to actually buy your poetry? I'm in the process of trying to get trying to decide what I want in the next one. Uh-huh. I have a I have a couple publishers in mind that I want to try to hook something up with. I know I'm supposed to have a little five-poem checkbook come out with uh, Moran Press either by the end of this year or early next year. Um... I'm not real sure when that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to put another full-length book out mm-hmm. at some time. I'd love to get the, uh, more formulated plans by the mm-hmm. middle of 2018. Sounds good. So right now, um, where people can find you in print, J.J. Campbell's Sophisticated White Trash that was published by Interior Noise Press. And you are in the 2016 Punk Chapbook series from Epic Rights Press. I I don't know offhand if there's any uh, 
those volumes still available, but um, Communicating with Epic Rights Press would be a way to find out about that. And I, you know, I always encourage people, man, you, you've been listening to this hour, you've heard J.J. Campbell, it's powerful poetry, and do the things you can to support that. Buy the book if you can. You know, make that point of, of buying from those small artisan presses and, and those journals in print. You know, support this work really happening. And people can probably best follow you through your blog at eviledelights.blogspot.com. So in terms of like, is there something coming during 2018? That'd be a place for people to find out. Sounds yeah, good. they would definitely um, know there first. Cool. If anything, anything's being published or book plans or anything, that will be the first place I post anything. All right. Sounds good. JJ Campbell, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That's great. And thanks to Daniel Smith, who produces the show, so people get to listen to it. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, JJ Campbell. Thank you, Yana Carlson, for bringing this together. And so long.